was thinking as we were singing and worshiping this morning, um, just what a privilege, and I know you understand this, I think you do, what a privilege it is to know the true God, isn't it? A wonderful reality. Sinners saved by grace, what do we deserve? What do you deserve because of your sin and rebellion and my sin and rebellion? We deserve punishment. We deserve eternal wrath, and yet God has loved us with an eternal love, an unconditional love. What a privilege, what a joy. And that's what the passage we're going to be looking at today focuses on as well. It's really part celebration and part challenge. And I've been praying that the Lord would use this as in your lives, as he has in our family's lives, to encourage us, to challenge us, both to rejoice and to rest in God and who he is and what that means for our lives, as well as to, if you're in a hard time, if you're struggling, if you are in a time of uncertainty or difficulty of challenge, that the Lord would comfort your heart and challenge you to rest firmly in him. And of course, we've already read the text, Psalm 46. We'll read it again and we'll meditate on it this morning. As I said, this psalm has um, particularly been a special blessing to Andrea and I and our three kids over the years through some of the hard times the Lord has led us through. And I hope that it has that same blessing in your life as well. Maybe it's a familiar psalm to you already, and I hope it'll be a reminder to you of it. In fact, in our living room wall in our house, we have um, verse 10 of this psalm, if you want to look in your Bible on your note sheet. Does everybody have a note sheet, by the way? Uh, There were note sheets. If you don't have one, raise your hand, and uh, if you want a note sheet, they're still in the blanks there. You can have that over here. But we have verse 10 emblazoned on our wall. You know those wall stickers? We have one of those on our wall. Cease striving and know that I am God. We need that reminder over and over, don't we? Do you need that? I know we do. And so we have it on our wall (laughs) to remind us of that. Because life is, there's no shortage of, of challenges and of reasons why we need to be reminded of the power of our great God. So, um. In this psalm, it's a beautiful psalm, it's a wonderful psalm, in which the hearts of God's people are strengthened. Through reminding them, the psalmist reminds us of how powerful he is, how much he is in control, and how, he, how God's people can rest securely in him. It's interesting, in a psalm that talks about the, the power of God and his protection of his people, there's not one time in here that God, it says explicitly, God protects his people. It's interesting, in a psalm that that focuses, that seems to focus on that, it never says that directly. But what the psalmist does say is that not that God protects his people, he says God is the protection of his people. And that's an important distinction. That's a critical distinction in our hard times, in the challenges, in the struggles. Where do we run? Do we run to... A place? Do we run to a resource? Do we run to some people? Or do we run to our refuge, our strength, the Lord? And that's really the the beautiful challenge of this psalm. God is our refuge and our strength. We need to have the right foundation, don't we, friends? We must have the right foundation in the challenges and the struggles of our lives. Now just think about this for a minute before we get into the text, about a stronghold. What is inherent in the idea of a stronghold, a place of refuge? 
What's inherent in the idea of a stronghold is that when you run into it, you do what? You stop fighting for yourself. What do you trust in when you run into a refuge? Well, the power of the refuge, the strength of the door, the lock that is there is strong enough to stand against the enemy. A person who runs into a stronghold stops fighting for himself and trusts in the power, the ability, and the strength of that stronghold. Imagine a soldier on a battlefield. The enemy is bearing down. He's almost out of his bullets. His weapons are almost gone. The massive army is coming, and there he stands. All hope is almost lost. But just to the side, there's a stronghold. There's a cave. There's a door with a metal door. And the captain is there saying, come, run. Now is the time. Run into the refuge. We'll shut the door. You'll be safe. And that person just stands there. I can do it. I can take it. Right? Almost out of bullets. The army's bearing down. What do you say to that person? What kind of person is that? What do you think? What would you say? He's a fool. He's an idiot. Your refuge is right there. You're almost gone. You don't have the strength to handle it. Run. Run into the refuge. That's what this psalm is saying. Trust in the strength of your refuge. Don't trust in your own power. Don't grit your teeth and say, I can do this. No. God is our refuge and strength. Run to him. Let's read this psalm again and really meditate on it and be challenged and encouraged by these truths that are really very practical for us today, isn't it? Follow along in your Bibles as I read. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth should change and though the mountains slip into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, Though the mountains quake at its swelling pride. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy dwelling places of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She will not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations made an uproar. The kingdoms tottered. He raised his voice, and the earth melted. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. Come, behold the works of the Lord, who has wrought desolations in the earth. He makes wars to cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and cuts the spear in two. He burns the chariots with fire. Cease striving and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. Clearly the point of this text is found there in verse 7, right? And then again, repeated in the last words of this psalm, the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. That's the point. That's the main point that we're to take away, of, take away from this text. So as we begin this psalm, I want you to, to ask yourselves the following questions. Would you do this just to make it practical? 
to really help you to apply this to your life, ask yourself this question. Do I trust in the power and sufficiency of my stronghold if I'm still worried or fretting or working to defend myself while I'm inside that refuge? Think about that for a minute. That soldier standing out in the, in the battlefield, finally he ran in and they shut the door and he's cowering in the corner of that bunker afraid. Is he really trusting in the refuge if, if that's how he's feeling and what he's thinking? If I'm still striving and fretting, does that not indicate that either that God is deficient or my faith is deficient? See, friends, think about your own life. Think about how you respond to the challenges of life, whatever they may be, relational problems, financial difficulties, maybe it's a health problem, the death of a loved one. Life is full of trouble, isn't it? As the sparks fly upward, the Word of God says, man is made for trouble. It's just part of life. It's part of the sin-cursed world that we live in. Life has trouble, yes? And I don't know what your troubles are exactly. You don't know what mine are, but we all have them, right? And the question I want you to think about as we begin this meditation of God being our refuge is how do you normally respond to those? Is it worry? Is it fear? And if that's the case, then what does that say? Either God, there's something wrong with his protection, or there's something wrong with my trust in his protection. Which is it? We all know the answer to that question, right? There's no failure. There's no limitation in the creator of the universe. But we struggle sometimes, don't we, to trust, to rest. That's what this psalm is designed to help us with, to to help us to trust in our refuge. So the thesis, the way this psalm is built, the thesis is really given there in verse 1. Look in your Bibles. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Right at the beginning, he writes out at the beginning of this song, here's the main point. God is our refuge, and then he's going to work that out as we go through. But let's just think about this thesis for a couple of minutes. He is our refuge. He is our strength. This word refuge means it's a location. It's a location to which a person would flee if he feels helpless, vulnerable, right? We understand that. And in the Bible, there's several pictures that are used to, that are said, these are refuges to help us understand what God being our refuge means. Sometimes a rock is called a refuge. In Psalm 62 and Psalm 94, a rock is a refuge. We understand that, right? It's strong. It's powerful. It can offer protection. A shield is also sometimes a picture of God being our refuge. Sometimes wings of a bird are called a refuge, right? As a mother bird would protect, and her, her power and wisdom would protect her young ones. God is that place of refuge. Not only is he our refuge, He is our strength, and that's a condition. Our refuge is a place. He is our strength. That's a condition. The power to resist evil or to attack. So the psalmist says, this is who our God is. He is our refuge. He is our strength. Look at verse 1. He is a what? A very present help in trouble. What's the psalmist saying there? And you don't have to put in an application like at the government office and two or three months later you find out if your application was approved. No, God's not like that. 
He is a very present help in trouble. Right now, there is security, there is protection, there is safety. You remember what Jesus said? We even were reading it earlier in the service. Right as he, after he ascended, before he, after he rose, before he ascended to heaven, what did he say? Lo, I am with you always, even to the very end of the age. God's help, God's protection, that refuge is immediately available to you as a child of God all the time. You can run to him. He offers protection. It's constant. You know, it's also important to note, and I just want to note, point this out to you in verse 1 there, a very present help in trouble. Actually, in the original Hebrew, the word is plural. And I think that's significant. I think that speaks to us, right? A very present help in, not trouble, no, troubles. God is a ready refuge and strength at all times for all of the troubles of the multiple trials and struggles that you and I have. That word troubles, it, it means narrow, constricted, confining. And I like this one quote, and I think it will help you understand what the psalmist is saying, the spirit of what he's saying here, about the meaning of this word troubles. God is our refuge in troubles. It says this, this word indicates intense internal turmoil. It describes the anguish of a people besieged by an enemy. So in a city, and the army is totally surrounding and there's no way of getting out, and they're just waiting and waiting and waiting until you either starve or, or run for, try to escape. That's what trouble means. This word is also used in context comparable to a, a woman in pain, the pain of a woman bearing her first child. Think about that. A woman about to give birth, and in the midst of giving birth, of her first baby. What, the pain of that. What is involved in that? Fear. I, I don't know what this is. I've never done this before. It's agonizing. It's difficult. What's going to happen? This tr word trouble also is used to refer to the terror of an approaching, the approach of a raping army. The army is coming. They're going to do horrible things. And there's nothing we can do. And this is to that person who's in the midst of this trouble. The word of God says, God is your refuge and strength, a very present help in time of trouble, that kind of trouble. Isn't that wonderful? It is wonderful to be a child of God. Amen? What a blessing. What a privilege. What a strength. In the midst of your pain, right where you are, right at that moment, he is your refuge. So now, with that thesis in mind, with that direction, let's move into the, the bulk of the psalm then and see the, three, the first of the three main points that the psalmist leads us through, that the Word of God teaches us. The fact of our fearlessness. The fact of our fearlessness. Then secondly, we'll see the reasons for our fearlessness. And then thirdly, the choice of our fearlessness. The fact the reasons, and the choice. Look at verses 2 and 3. There are on your note sheet or in your Bible. Therefore, we will not fear. 
Notice the resolve of God's people not to fear. This is the first point we need to understand under the fact of our fearlessness. It is a resolve. It is a decision. And that's the first fill in the blank there. The resolve of God's people not to fear. Notice the logical conclusion. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, the only logical conclusion you can come to if God is indeed that place of refuge, that ultimate power, is that what? This conclusion, we will not fear. There's no other logical, reasonable conclusion that you and I can come to. You know, it's, in, it's significant, this, this word for fear is used in the Bible, and you're probably familiar with this, both for terror, like you would have of, of, of anything, of a lion or of a bear or, or any kind of fear that you might experience, as well as for the fear of God. And that, that, that word is used in both ways, and that's significant for us. That's important to understand because of this fact. Think about this. The fear of God, if I fear God... If I respect his power, if I stand in awe of his greatness, then what will that do to my fear of everything else in the world? The trials, the fears, the the evil people, and whatever may oppose me or, or Christians in this world. Well, then that fear will go down. And it's not a stretch to say that if I am fearing the things of this world and the evil and the wickedness and whatever may be there, then... The converse is also true, that my fear of God will be less. They are inversely proportional, right? My fear of God is great, my fear of everything else, less. My fear of everything else is great, that means my fear of God is less. So who do I fear? And so the decision comes here, it's a a resolve. Therefore, we will not fear. It's a decision that you and I need to make. You know, oftentimes we think that emotions just come from, well, they just come out of nowhere, right? Oh, you make me angry. That makes me afraid. This makes me worried. Really? Is that really true? If I am standing and I am confident in the resource of God and his strength and his power and his control over all things, from the greatest to the least, and then some tragedy happens or something difficult happens, my emotional response to that, where does that come from? It comes from my, with, with whom I fear. Who do I trust most of all, right? That's what impacts my emotional response in that moment of trial and of testing. So that's what the psalm is saying here. God is our refuge and strength. That's a fact. Now resolve to stand on that solid rock. When the trial comes, don't run. Don't hide, don't go shopping or get chocolate or whatever. No, rest in the refuge. Stand on the rock. Make that decision. The second point that we can understand here under the fact of fearlessness is the need for the resolve. So, yes, we must resolve. We will not fear. But there's a great need to make that decision, isn't there? Just think about your own life. And as we we walk through these descriptions of the need for making this resolve of fearlessness. Think about your own life, okay? Uh, And again, I don't know your situation, but you do. Think about if these ring true in your life. The first opportunity for fear that we see laid out in the psalm here is when the unalterable is altered. When the unalterable 
is altered. Look at verse 2, in the middle of verse 2. Therefore we will not fear, though the what? Though the earth should change. Anybody here get seasick? You're willing to admit it? In Oceanside, I don't know if anybody. I do. Right? You ocean people. Anybody who gets seasick, if you're out on a boat and you're rocking around, right? And you're getting sick and you're feeling it in your stomach and what would you say? Oh, that we could finally get back to what? Solid ground. I mean, back to the earth that doesn't move, right? Well, what the psalmist is saying here is we will not fear even though the earth would move, even though the earth should change. That thing that you assume is the most solid, that is unmovable, what if that moves? What if that thing which you think is never going to change begins to move, to shift. What do you think then? How would that feel? Does that ring true in your life at all? We cling to things, don't we, in this life? We hang on to things. We, we see them as insurance, solid ground, a lifeline, things. And then the Lord says, hmm, okay, time to move that a little bit. Why? Because you need to realize that God is your refuge and strength. Second opportunity for fear is when what is immovable becomes unstable. And of course, these do overlap to some degree. But there are nuances that I want to bring out and help you understand. First of all, when the unalterable is altered. Secondly, when what is immovable becomes unstable. And we see that at the end of verse 2. Though the mountains slip into the heart of the sea. The mountains slip into the ocean. Now, he brings up the point of mountains here. Why? What do you think of when you think of a mountain? Obviously, it's big, tall, strong, massive, right? That can't move. It's immovable. And the psalmist says, what if that mountain, that immovable thing starts to slip? Interesting word, this word for slip. It means to stop, to talk, to stagger or totter, to quake. Something unstable. Have you ever seen those, uh, like a weightlifting competition, maybe in the Olympics or the strongest man competition? And you'll see these men like the clean and jerk. Anybody familiar with that? And they have this massive weight on the bar and they bend down and they lift it up and they get it here and then they do this and they, you know, and they're straining, <coughs> excuse me, he's straining and his face is red and he's holding it up there. You have to hold it up there for a couple seconds. Imagine that, picture that, and then all of a sudden, his knee buckles. What happens? That crushing weight comes falling down, and you're thinking in that moment, oh my goodness, if it doesn't fall on his neck, right, and injure him. That's what, that's what slip means. It's that, that weakness, that moment of there's a crushing weight, and all of a sudden, there's a failure. All of a sudden, there's a slip, and a moment of, of loss of power, a, faulty, a, a faltering, a frailty. Because of lack of strength. That's what the psalmist is saying here in verse 2. And even though the mountains might slip, show a momentary weakness. And again, I ask you, what do you consider the strongest, most immovable part of your life? A relationship, a job, your possessions, your house. That may slip. That may falter. The third opportunity for fear is when threats are intimidating, when threats 
are intimidating. And there's a change here. If you look in verse 3, though its waters roar and foam. Though its waters roar and foam. Picture that in your mind. It's again, what is it a picture of? Maybe a waterfall or rapids. The water is boiling and churning. And there's a lot of noise and, and movement. And so the, the point that the Word of God points us to here is the focus shifts not from the failure or the weakness of that which is strong, but to the intimidation that comes with catastrophe. In a word, it's scary. It's frightening. It's uncertain. I don't know what is going to happen. There's an unshakable dread. Have you ever felt that way? Um, <clears throat> Mike already mentioned it in, the, in my introduction, but in 2006, we were driving back to India after a furlough, and we were in a, a very serious car wreck that really threw our lives into to uncertainty. Um, my femur, we were driving back, and the, the taxi driver we were riding with in India smashed into the back of a large pickup or a large dump truck sort of a vehicle and crushed my skull and broke my leg. Andrea had a very bad concussion. Our kids were injured a little bit, not as much, for which we were thankful. But in an instant, life itself was in question. Possible ministry and, and, and work in the future was in question. The uncertainty of our children's health, my own ability to think and, and to do what I love to do and what God called me to do, in a moment thrown up into the air. And there was fear, and there was uncertainty, and there was question, well, what, God, what are you doing? We, why would you let this happen? Have you ever felt that way? Maybe you're in a situation like that now. Why? And people would ask me again and again and again during those times, have you figured out why God has allowed this to happen in your life? And I kept thinking, why? I don't know. He doesn't tell me. Why? Is, is that even the right question, I often ask? I think the ultimate question, and this is what I learned through that experience, was the ultimate answer to that question is, is for his glory. However he chooses to glorify himself, and God was glorified through that situation, through the coming together of the body of Christ, through our healing, through the opportunity to tell over and over and over again how great God was in helping us in the midst of that. That's the reason why, I think. And of course, we'll come to that in the psalm here not long from now. But sometimes our lives get thrown up in the air like that, doesn't it? In an instant, in a moment. Opportunities for fear, when the unalterable is altered, when that which is immovable becomes unstable, when threats are intimidating, the fourth opportunity is when what is most stable seems vulnerable. And again, we've seen this already, but look how it's said at the end of verse 3, though the mountains quake at its swelling pride. The unique feature here is the picture of something that is massively powerful pounding against another massive force, like a building such as this. If all of a sudden you felt this massive whoomp, and the whole building would shudder and shake, that's, that's the picture that's being described in the words here. And again, it's along these lines of intimidation. When, when that which you think is the most stable all of a sudden becomes unstable. And the psalmist is saying, you know what? God is your refuge even when you're scared, even when you're afraid, even in your most challenging times. 
Now, so far, no real argument has been made for why we should be able to be fearless in the midst of these times. Yes, God is our refuge and strength. That's great to say, but how do I hang on to that? You know, there's no argument made as to why I can do that. It's not, is this just pie in the sky? And yeah, we're all Christians, so we say these things, and maybe Christianity really is a crutch. We just say it and like the world says. Is that what we're talking about? The Word of God says no. He begins now in verse 4 to say, well, this is why. Here is the argument. So let's look at then, not in addition to the fact of our fearlessness, the reasons for our fearlessness. And it begins there in verse 4. Look at it in your Bibles. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. This is a beautiful picture. What did we just see in verse 3? The, the, the boiling, the roaring, the rushing, the, the destructive force of the water, as it were, outside, and its attack against us. And then he says, there is a, what, a river. This is not a coincidence. There's water involved. There is a river inside the city of God, inside Jerusalem, inside his refuge. There is a city that makes what? There is a river, I should say, that makes what? That that makes glad the city of God. Why is there so much peace inside the city walls? The water runs calmly inside. Why? It produces growth and prosperity and fruitfulness inside. And why is that true? Because that's where God is. Do you see it there? It's because He Himself dwells with his people. Look at it there. There's a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy dwelling places of the Most High. He dwells with his people. Now there's three fortifying truths we can say, three fortifying truths we see in these verses, in verses four to six. And let's just take them one by one. The first is that God's immediate presence guarantees his provision. His immediate presence guarantees his provision. It is the holy dwelling places of the Lord. What does it mean to be holy? You know what holiness means? What does it mean when we say that God is holy? It means he is superior, that he is other, he is totally distinct. He is the unique and infinite one. There is no one else like him. And he is holy in a lot of different ways. But he is other, totally other. He is unique in his power. He is unique in his righteousness. He is unique in his love. He is totally different. He stands apart from all else. And here the imagery is he is in that refuge. He is in that city which he himself created. And he protects those who are in the city with him. Just for you and me, we're not in Jerusalem, right? We're in a, in a school here in Oceanside. How is God's presence dwelling immediately with you? Again, is this just pie in the sky? We say we make ourselves feel better? No. How is God's presence immediately with his people today? What do you think? It's with his spirit. We are temples of the Holy Spirit. When we are born again, God indwells us, each one of us, individually, with his Holy Spirit. And what does the Spirit do? He teaches, 
he convicts, he encourages, he opens up our minds to understand his word. These are the ministries that the word of God says the Holy Spirit has in the children of God, and that is what we experience as well. And we as a church are also called a temple of the Holy Spirit. Together as we minister and love one another and minister the gifts of the Spirit to one another, we are the dwelling place both collectively and individually, of the Holy Spirit. He is dwelling immediately present with us. That is the guarantee. That is the promise of refuge. God is with us immediately right where we are. We see also in verse 5, God's personal intimate presence guarantees his help. Look at verse 5. This is beautiful. God is in the midst of her. She will not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. Think about that, in the midst. If we say that, oh, the the child is in the midst of the congregation, what do we mean? Right there. Right there, right in the middle. Right next to. There's intimacy. There's closeness. There's protection. That's what the psalmist is trying to say. Don't fear. Don't be afraid. God is right here. He's close. At the, he will help us when morning dawns. Interesting, literally those words mean at the turn of the dawn. Why, why, why the dawn? Why are we talking about the dawn? In, in the Old Testament, this is a common phrase. At the dawn, God helps us at the dawn. Why is that, do you think? Well, have you ever stayed up all night? And maybe you didn't feel very good at the dawn. I've done that a few times. <laughs> And it doesn't feel very good, but there's something, what's the point of that picture? It's, it's light after long, dreary, difficult, painful darkness. And what the psalmist is saying that is for the child of God, there is always a dawn. There may be darkness, there may be struggle, it may be hard, it may be long, it may seem painful, but you know what? The dawn is coming. There's always a light. For the child of God, darkness is always temporary. Yes? Do you believe that? Are you in the darkness? Have you been in the darkness? Have you felt the discouragement of that? The pain of that? When, God, is this going to be over? This is hard. I don't like it. It's painful. Maybe the slow death of a loved one from cancer. Maybe the long time looking for a job. I just am struggling financially. Maybe the agony of trying to get through a degree in school. I just, and the struggle and the fight of that. The word of God says, no, there's a dawn. If you are a child of God, there is always hope. I remembered as I was preparing for this sermon what Paul wrote in Romans 8. He says, the struggles of this time are not what? Are not worthy to be compared with the glory that will be revealed for the sons of God. There is light, always light, for the child of God coming. Why? Because God is your refuge and your strength. Cling to that, run to Him, rejoice in who you are and what you have and the eternal inheritance that you have been given by grace. Amen? Run to him. 
Open your eyes to see the light. Don't just sit there and, and look down and say, oh, it's dark and it's painful. I, I hate it. No. Remember, God is with you right now. And then the third fortifying truth we see there in verse 6, the nations made an uproar. Now here we see for the first time a reference to the people who are at least partially the cause of the trouble that the people of God have. This is the first time this, this, the, the people are the cause mentioned in this psalm. The nations made an uproar. The kingdoms tottered. They make a lot of noise. The world that is opposed to God and his people and his gospel, they make a lot of noise. They cause a lot of trouble. But what happens? The nations made an uproar. The kingdoms tottered. He, God, raised his voice. Literally, he gave his voice. And the earth melted. Yeah, they make a lot of noise, but God says, okay, no. What is the psalmist saying? He is powerful. The God who created the world with a word, who created the universe, the stars, the sun, the planets, everything in this world with his voice, is he not able to speak and his enemies go away? Brothers and sisters, it's good to be on God's side. It's good to be a child of the king. God's mere utterance overpowers and subdues his enemies. So I think you see the application of this for your life, don't you? What threats are you facing? I guess you're thinking about those already. What fears do you have? What is that army that is bearing down upon you from the ridge, blotting out the sun, threatening you with pain or uncertainty or trouble. The creator God of the universe is with you right now in the midst of that. Rest in him. Trust in him. And of course, the conclusion to this section comes in verse 7. The Lord of hosts is with us in the midst of that trouble, in the midst of that pain. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. And so we close in verses 8 through 11, not only the fact of our fearlessness, the reasons for our fearlessness, now we come to the decision, the choice of our fearlessness. And this is where the commitment is to be made. Remember we talked about at the beginning, therefore we will not fear. Now's the time to make the decision. In this psalm, the Word of God says, now you have to choose. And there's two parts of this choice of fearlessness that we see. It's a call, it's a call, a two-part call, a call to consider something and a call to rest. A call to consider and a call to rest. Look at verses 8 and 9. We see the call to consider. What is it that we should consider? Come, behold the works of the Lord who has wrought desolations in the earth. He makes wars to cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and cuts the spear in two. He burns the chariots with fire. What's the first thing that we need to ponder, that we need to think about? In verse 8, God's works. What has he done in the past? 
What have you seen him done? Do you remember how he has worked both in your life and in other people's lives and in the lives of the people we see recorded in the word of God? Do you remember those things? Look at those things. It's a command. Notice that. Come. Come. Look. Behold the works of the Lord. Do you need those reminders? Oh my goodness, yes. Do you need to be reminded to remember what God has done for you? He saved you. He forgave you. He's provided for you in the past. I can't tell you how many times we've, we tell each other that. Remember how God has provided and protected us so many times. And, in, and when you think about that, when you meditate on that, then you think, I'm an idiot. What am I sitting here crying about? Right? How can I dishonor God so horribly by sitting here and worrying about what he's going to do or if he's in control or if he's going to do what's best for me in this situation? The creator of the universe who's protected me from early from my life until now, and now I'm thinking, oh, I don't know what's going to happen. How dishonoring. So the psalm says, come, look, remember what God has done for you. And what has he done? Well, again, these descriptions are just simply descriptions of the massive power of God. He, he wrought desolations in the earth. Think Nagasaki, Hiroshima, blasted earth, just destruction. That's what it means. God can do that. He can bring massive destruction if he wants to. Also, the cessation of wars in verse 9. He makes wars to cease where? To the end of the world, there is no geographical limit to what God can do. You can never be so far away that God is, you're somehow out of his power, out of his ability to work on your behalf. Doesn't matter if you're in India in a car crash on the side of the road. Doesn't matter if you're in Oceanside in a beautiful you know, 78 degree weather. Doesn't matter where you are, in Hawaii. You are not outside of God's reach. He is totally in control right where you are. He makes wars to cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks bows. He cuts the spear in two. He burns the chariots with fire. He can do whatever he wants. And it's just interesting. I, we don't have time to get into this. But notice, he, he, he works mightily even in the operation of this human world. That's normally how he works. You say, God, just take it away. Just supernaturally solve my problem. And God says, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to break the bow. I'm going to cut the spear. I'm going to... I'm going to break down the military equipment. No, I'm going to work within the operations of this world. So trust me, because I know what I'm doing. I'm working in this way for my glory and for your good. So there's a call to consider, to remember, and then finally there is a call to rest. And this is, of course, the most fitting. In light of everything we've thought about and meditated on even briefly this morning, this is the most logical and beautiful conclusion we can come to. Cease striving and know that I am God. There's two parts of this. Something to stop doing and something to start doing. The first is stop. Literally, it's just relax. The word means to be limp, to be loose, to be slack, to be relaxed. Basically what the Lord is saying here is just stop freaking out. Relax. Take a deep breath, count to ten. God is still God. That's what the Word of God is saying. Remember that. It sounds so simple, but we need that, right? Just stop. 
and realize that he loves you, that he is all-powerful. He who created all things is your father. He's in control. Stop striving and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. And I'll just point out as we close, notice that the conclusion of all of this, as we've thought about all the struggles and the difficulties and the fears and the anguish that we may experience in our various situations of life, the conclusion of all of it is not, and God will fix your problems. Did you notice that? And there's going to be no more possibility or opportunity for fear or pain. That comes later, friends, right? No more tears, no more crying. That comes later. Maybe in this life, but no guarantee. Guaranteed in heaven. But the end of this story, in this psalm, because God is our refuge and strength, is I will be what? God will be exalted. What is the purpose of your life and my life as a child of God? There was a little plaque that my parents had on the windowsill in our kitchen uh, above the kitchen sink. I kind of laughed at it at the time as a child, but I think it's, it's very true. It said, happiness is not the goal of the Christian life. It's the result. Uh, I think it's basically true. But think about what is the goal of your life? What is the purpose for which you were created and recreated in Christ for? Is your faith in Christ, is your salvation just fire insurance to you? To me? Phew, I'm saved. Now I'm good. I can kind of do whatever I want. No. The goal of your life, of my life as a child of God, is his, the magnification of his glory. And however God chooses to do that in your life or my life, friends, that's okay. That's okay. Our inheritance is guaranteed. But think about that. Say to the Lord, Lord, I give myself to you. I prioritize as the ultimate priority, your magnification in my life. However you choose to do that, I'm going to be good with. I'm going to run to you in the times of difficulty. I'm going to cling to you and say, I love you. I trust you. I'm going to honor you in that. And then, of course, the final words again. The Lord of hosts. Yahweh Sabaoth. Yahweh of armies. The one who controls and commands the powers of heaven. He is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. Amen? I just want to close with this. And this can be, as our closing prayer, a song. I actually asked Angelo if we could sing this at the end, but he says, we don't know that song. So I said, okay, I'll read the lyrics anyway. <laughs> but I would encourage you to look it up this afternoon. Go to, go to YouTube. It's called Always. Maybe you already know the song, some of you. Always, um, written, performed by Christian Stanfield, Christian with a K. If you just Google that, you'll find it, always. And I wanted to sing it because it's a beautiful expression of the things that we've been learning in the Word. Always, by Christian Stanfield. Just listen to these lyrics. My foes are many, they rise against me, but I will hold my ground. I will not fear the war. I will not fear the storm. My help is on the way. My help 
is on the way. And then the chorus says, Oh my God, he will not delay. My refuge and strength always. I will not fear. His promise is true. My God will come through always. Always. Then the second verse, Trouble surrounds me, chaos abounding. My soul will rest in you. I will not fear the war. I will not fear the storm. My help is on the way. My help is on the way. And then the chorus last time, Oh my God, he will not delay. My refuge and strength always. I will not fear. His promise is true. My God will come through always. Always. Let's pray together. Father, we rejoice today in your greatness and your goodness. We do trust in you. But even as I often think, as Peter said, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. We are, our hearts are sometimes divided. We do sometimes struggle to remember the things that we know to be true, and that is that you are good and powerful, and you control all things for your glory and for our ultimate good. I pray, Father, that you would impress these reminders into my heart and to the heart of each one here, that you would comfort each one in their situation of struggle right now. May you encourage them, each one, to rest in you, our refuge and strength. So thank you for your love and care and for this time of fellowship and worship today. We pray in Jesus' name.